This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's estimated that nearly 30 million youth in the United States between the ages of 6 and 18 participate in team sports, and up to 60 million participate in some form of organized athletics, with two-thirds of these participating in more than one sport. There's not a lot of data on the incidence and prevalence of overuse injuries in our youth, but estimates suggest that overuse injuries may occur in up to 50%. With us today to discuss overuse injuries in our youth is Dr. David Soma, a pediatrician and sports medicine physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. David, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about what are overuse syndromes. Yeah, so overuse syndromes are simply anytime you put excess or um, too much stress over the course of a bone, tendon, ligament, uh, joint, growth plate, um, over time it can result in an injury. And why are these so important in our youth? Kids are getting, like you said in the introduction there, is that they're getting more and more active and there's more sport specialization, which is when kids kind of narrow down to one sport. And we're seeing more and more of these injuries um, as a result of the intensity of their training and how much they're training uh, is causing more of these types of injuries. Mm-hmm. How do they differ from, I mean, we get an overuse syndrome in adults. I know yeah. I've gotten it playing tennis and I've seen some patients with golf elbow. Um, how are they different from what adults get? Yeah, that's a great question. So whenever I think about trying to describe these injuries, I think of it as what is the weakest link in the chain? So in in the adult population, it's typically going to be the muscle or the tendon is the most vulnerable area of injury. Um, Whereas in kids, typically their bones or their growth plates are oftentimes the most vulnerable. Hmm. So in in an adult, you might have like a a muscle or a tendon, like golfer's elbow or um, tennis elbow, which is more the tendon unit. In kids, it's oftentimes the growth plate. So it's an an apophysitis. So it's that growth plate on the inside or the outside of the elbow that can sometimes be affected. So it's again, the structures are a little different. The mechanism is oftentimes very similar. um, But treatment can be just slightly different sometimes. Mm-hmm. I imagine when there's something involving the growth plate, it can affect them long-term into yeah. adulthood. Yeah, um, some of the injuries, especially um, you know maybe the shoulder, the uh, wrist, um, sometimes around the knee or the ankle, there has been reports of people that have altered growth patterns as a result of some of these injuries. Mm-hmm. I imagine that some of these can be a little tricky to diagnose. I mean, kids are always complaining of, I hurt this, I hurt that, and uh, they tend to get better, but when should parents be... Uh, interested in what's going on and maybe take them in for an evaluation? Yeah, that's another great question there. I think, you know, a lot of times kids are going to have bumps and bruises, um, and most of those will get better over the course of a few days to a week. Um, If you have a kid who is having persistent pain that's lasting a longer period of time, or it's affecting their ability to do the sport, those are probably the best indications to get in. So if you notice that your child is, you know, Uh, limping or I'll hear people say, oh, he looks like an old man after the game. Those are times that maybe, you know, they're putting themselves at risk for other injuries because they're changing their mechanics or their form just to have somebody take a look. And I think, you know, these are very common in young athletes. So, you know, people that are used to seeing children, so whether whether it be a primary care provider who's used to seeing these or even a sports medicine physician, they are very uh, commonly seen and oftentimes can make that diagnosis for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, youth sports are no longer limited to males. Uh, I think we have probably as many young girls as young boys uh, in uh, sports. Do they differ in terms of what you see in terms of overuse? 
Not greatly. Um, you know, there are some sports that are more prominently seen in females. For example, gymnastics, dance, and things are more common. Not to say that guys don't do those. And there are some other sports, you know, maybe uh, football um, or things like that. And softball and baseball, for example, uh, females pitch underhand in softball and, and males pitch overhand. So sometimes the sports themselves and um, what they do in the sport can be a little different. And therefore, there are certain things uh, that maybe girls are more likely to have than boys. But for the most part, anything that you see in a boy, you can see in a girl and I, I pretty much have seen it all mm. are there specific joints that are susceptible to getting overuse syndrome yeah I think really it depends upon the sport so um, you know I would say that almost any joint is has the potential to develop an overuse injury um, obviously in our overhead athletes so tennis players volleyball baseball people that are throwing and using their arm we typically think about the shoulder the elbow uh, the wrist um, in your you know your runners um, your jumpers um, you know basketball soccer track um, some of those sports we oftentimes think more about the lower extremity but but yeah I would say there's really no joint that is immune from the potential of an overuse injury mm -hmm. I recall in the past um, I saw a swimmer who uh, had thoracic outlet syndrome. Could that be considered an overuse syndrome? Yeah, I think that there are definitely um, some of them that are a little bit more gray. Um, so with that one specifically, there sometimes can be structural abnormalities that predispose to that. But I would say that the majority of people who develop those injuries are people that are not sitting on the couch. They're ones that are actively doing stuff and they're causing recurrent stress to a certain structure, which is ultimately causing the injury. Mm -hmm. How about shin splints? What are those? Yeah, so shin splints um, are basically when, you know, typically a runner um, or somebody who's active doing a lot of, you know, walking or running is gonna develop pain. And it's usually along the distal third or distal um, half of the tibia, a little bit more on the medial side. And the pathophysiology as to kind of what's really going on is not fully understood, but we think there's a combination of just kind of loading stress, but also some of the muscles that kind of control the ankle create tension over the tibia and ultimately cause some stress to that area. And it's usually a result of training error. And then when I say that, it means that maybe they've ramped up too quickly, um, their footwear isn't appropriate, they run on a different surfaces, or there can be other things that have happened too quickly, and the bone and muscles haven't had enough time to adjust. Mm -hmm. And so it's very common in the early parts of a running season that people will come in with shin splints. But you have to be careful because stress fractures can be very similar. And stress fractures, if you continue to run on those, are going to potentially get worse and worse and, and ultimately develop a more concerning injury. So, again, you know, there, there are some things that can seem like a common overuse injury, but there can be bad things that are, you know, very similar. Mm -hmm. Are these conditions usually diagnosed primarily by history and exam, or do you need to get imaging studies once in a while? No, I think that's a great question. I would say that the majority, just like every aspect of medicine, 90% of it comes from the history and the physical. Uh, there are a few times where you may need an imaging study to confirm um, what you're thinking or maybe um, you know, just to really document uh, kind of that, yes, this is, a, is really what's going on. Sometimes families will need that to see visually what really is happening inside their child and understand it better. But I, I think, again, the key typically is the history and the physical. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about some of the more common overuse uh, syndromes that you see. Uh, and you said it's related to sports, so it might be somewhat seasonal, I suspect. But what are some of the common things that uh, come into your office? Yeah, probably the most common um, would be Osgood Schlatter is a very common one. And again, all these are somewhat dependent upon the age. Um, but Osgood Schlatter essentially is right on the proximal portion of the tibia, there's the tibial tubercle, and your patellar tendon um, attaches right to that. And that repetitive traction or pulling from that tendon onto that growth plate ultimately results in potential for pain, um, you know, increased bone growth, and kind of uh, 
difficulty. Uh, uh, this most commonly will affect kids, I would say, 10 to 15 is kind of the window. Uh, we don't see it much before then because the growth plate isn't present, and after that, the growth plate is closed. So there's typically a finite window where that occur. Um, but there, these all fall under the category of what's called apophysitis, which is where you get a muscle, tendon, or ligament attaching to a secondary ossification center, so not necessarily contributing to the longitudinal growth of the bone, but more the bulk of the bone. And so this is probably the most common apophysitis that we see as Osgood Schlatter. Is there a particular sport that that's uh, associated with? I've seen it in many, but I would say the most common ones would be maybe your uh, basketball, uh, soccer, uh, ones where there's lots of running and jumping. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the, compli or not the complications, but the results of that in adults, you can see a predominance over the uh, anterior. Yeah, m m many uh, ovary injuries are benign, but some of them are not. And there are some people that can kind of have more chronic discomfort over certain areas where they've had a, this overuse injury. I've heard people that say when they you know, are, get into a manual labor job where they have to be on their knees all day, they'll have some soreness or kneeling in church or whatever might have you, they can have some pain over that area still. So, you know, these are something to take seriously um, and really recognize what's going on because we don't want to have the, the longer term problems. Mm -hmm. What else do you see? Um, there's, I kind of described apophysitis, and there's um, several of those. The most common is Osgood Schlatter. We also see one in the heel, uh, which is the growth plate in the heel called Seavers disease. Mm -hmm. um, so those are probably the two most common of those. We do see um, some tendinitis and tendinopathy, but that's, again, usually later adolescents and teenagers. So, um, you know, you can get Achilles tendinitis, you can get patellar tendinitis or tendinopathy, um, which are, are very common. But the ones that I think um, oftentimes um, are most concerning um, are some of, sometimes the upper extremity ones that are, are missed. So in gymnasts, uh, the radius bone um, is, has a growth plate near the end of it. And, and gymnasts kind of walk on their hands, do back hamstrings, do things that they're not, most you know, humans aren't used to doing. And that can result in a stress injury to that growth plate. Um, and also baseball pitchers um, and overhead athletes, we oftentimes will see stress injuries to the growth plate of the humerus, which is proximal, or the inside of the elbow. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes these can be, these can be quite uh, devastating and also a sign that maybe as they progress in their throwing or, or in their leagues, that they could be potentially developing other injuries um, that are more serious as they get older. Mm -hmm. Do you care for athletes and other active patients? Engage with sports medicine experts November 8th and 9th, 2019 at the Mayo Clinic Symposium on Sports Medicine. Participate in cutting-edge diagnostic and treatment strategies through live demonstrations and expert case presentations. To learn more, visit ce.mayo.edu slash sportsmedicine2019. the little league player who's attempting to throw curveballs is that uh, not something that's too wise to do yeah I think that uh, really the the most focus with little leaguers is is probably on pitch count and volume um, you know I, I coach some little league in, in town and I always say the main focus should be throwing strikes um, if you can throw a curveball but it doesn't land on the strike zone it doesn't really matter and there are recommendations from USA Baseball that kind of describe how many pitches you should do in a game or in a day how much rest you should have between, how much pitches you should do in a season, and what pitches you should throw. But probably the most important thing is having good technique, not pitching through fatigue, and kind of keeping an eye on those pitch counts. Mm -hmm. I know one of the most common uh, sports injury that I see in adults is uh, lateral epicondylitis mm -hmm. from playing tennis. Um, I, I suspect many kids play tennis. Mm -hmm. uh, does it occur just as often in them or more often? 
So I would say overuse injuries of some fashion occur um, just as commonly probably in, in adults as it is in kids. But I think that that specific one is actually not as common in kids. I don't mm -hmm. see that very common. There's some other ones, plantar fasciitis, lateral epicondylitis, things that, again, involve muscles, tendons, or soft tissues. Those can happen, but that would be typically an older teenager, again, because it's that most weak link in the structure uh, or this chain. Whereas in kids, truly the teenage and pre-teenage years, you should be really thinking about more of the growth plates and the bones. Mm -hmm. Anything that happens in the in the spine? Yeah. So um, we would say that you know one of the conditions that we screen for a lot in our in our athletes is spondylolysis or mm -hmm. spondylolisthesis, which is typically a result of repeated um, extension or or hyperextension of the back. So if you think about what sports do, that would be gymnasts dancers, sometimes offensive linemen as they block, they'll arch their back back. And that repetitive extension puts kind of load over the posterior elements of the spine. And over time, it can kind of create stress to an area and ultimately a fracture. And those stress fractures can't always be seen on an x-ray. You really have to have a kind of a keen history exam um, and then kind of pursue oftentimes more advanced imaging to see those. And we typically will require an athlete with one of those to be removed from sports for at least two to three months um, to really give this a chance to heal. So how do you manage these? Let's say you diagnose an overuse syndrome in a young sport athlete. Um, what do you tell them? Yeah, I, th I think it's, um, it's a tough thing because I want kids to be active but I don't want them to have injuries. And so I think that it's all about activity modification. I, I try to avoid complete cessation of exercise in kids, but it's really activity modification. Um, you know, oftentimes there's gonna be a large component of rest. So if they're telling me that they're playing five or six games in a weekend, every weekend for whatever sport they're doing and they're practicing five days a week, that's probably a recipe for this. Um, and so a lot of times they'll say, hey, we may need to back off for a period of time. Oftentimes flexibility, um, working with the physical therapist to strengthen certain muscle groups, those can be also, also uh, valuable. But the big thing is prevention. Um, many things in medicine, oftentimes, you know, prevention is the key. So there are some things that we can tell parents to try to decrease the risk of these injuries. Um, specifically, we typically will tell patients or parents to try to take two to three months off per year from any single sport. So if you're doing uh, any sport year round, we'd say, you know, that's really setting yourself up for a risk of injury. We recommend taking at least one, if not two days per week off. So if you're you know, playing tournaments on the weekends, you gotta find some days during the week to take some break from that sport. We also try to uh, recommend that you don't participate in more hours per week in any sport than your age and years. So if you're a 13 year old female gymnast and you're doing 24 hours of gymnastics a week, that's probably a recipe uh, for injury as well. So there's a lot of things we try to coach and counsel families about to say, hey, sports are great, but if you're injured and you have to sit out, it makes them less fun. So let's really try to prevent those injuries from happening. So it's kind of like farmers who rotate their crops. Yeah. It's uh, probably a good idea to rotate your sport. Yeah, diversification is really, really important because different structures get stressed during different sports and then you get that time to recover in between seasons. Yeah. How important is good footwear? You know, that's a good question. I think um, there's still a lot of investigation and debate about, you know, how important is, you know, insoles or different footwear. And I generally go with, a, hey, if you're not having problems, I would say that find a good, well-fitted shoe that has not been worn too much. But I typically don't look at a foot and say, you know, you automatically need this or automatically need that. If there starts to be a problem where you're having pain in your knees or your ankles, then I think it might be worth discussing, you know, maybe some um, support in your shoe or special footwear. But I think in general, you know, getting some well-fitted shoes that, that, you know, appear to be comfortable and you can get oftentimes help at some of the footwear stores. Um, and then picking a shoe that you like is important. And, you know, if there's no problem, I typically don't jump to any, you know, immediate insoles or type mm -hmm. of support. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I suspect these can vary from injury to injury, but how long do these typically take to heal? It depends upon the injury. So some of the more minor ones, um, you know, the apophysitis where, uh, you know, those are kind of, you know, more of an overuse. There's no severe damage to the tissue. Oftentimes, I will tell families that we want to take a little bit of a break, maybe two or three weeks up front to kind of get it to calm down. But I also counsel them that this is going to be an up and down course. You know, they might notice that as the season's ramping up, it might come back, but then you're going to, you coach them to rest a little bit. And so it might be an up and down story because as long as kids are growing and active, they have the potential to come back. So I think it's educating them on what are the signs to take a break, um, kind of how much activity they should be doing, and then kind of following along. But I'd say typically for the minor ones, it's a few weeks. For some of the more severe ones, like I said, the, the, some of the ones in the spine, sometimes if the bone or cartilage is affected, if the growth plates are affected, then sometimes it can be several months. Hmm. I imagine with some of the youth, uh, they're not going to like your recommendations. They're pretty intense, and they're you know they kind of hear about you got to play through this pain. Yeah, uh, I imagine it's important when you're dealing with youngsters to uh, work with their parents as well. Yeah, I think that we all want our kids to succeed, um, and so sometimes it's hard to see them being pulled out, especially if they're a key member of the team or in their in their later years of sports. Um, but I think that you know it's all about I think placing it into context and trying to help them understand that you know if they're in seventh grade and they're already having these over use injuries they've got five more years of, of you know high school athletics ahead of them and so we really need to try to prevent those from being things that are long lasting and I think if you use that as kind of a guide it can be be very beneficial and again oftentimes these are not season ending um, and sometimes we can work through things in the middle of the season but it all depends upon which specific injury we're talking about but I think you know uh, it's really emphasizing that you know if you get injured or you have chronic pain you're not going to perform as well as you can mm -hmm. and I think that kids sometimes will resonate with that yeah and unlike adults, this can have long-lasting uh, complications. Yeah. All right. Well, how would you summarize uh, overuse syndromes in kids? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, kids, sports are beneficial for children. Uh, they should be active. We want them to be active. Sports provides immense benefits for children, but it needs to be done in moderation. Kids that are doing it in excess um, do have the potential to develop overuse injuries. And so, you know, children who have, you know, more persistent pain or pain that's affecting their function should be evaluated. Um, during the evaluation, history and physical can provide the majority of the diagnoses, but sometimes imaging is necessary. And um, typically the treatment is going to be some sort of activity modification. Um, you may want to involve a sports medicine or, you know, pediatric sports medicine physician if, if there's questions or concerns. But really kind of counseling the families and prevention is truly the key. But again, I think, you know, sports diversification, um, keeping kids active, those are really, really important. Great. Well, we've been discussing overuse injuries in children and youth with Dr. David Soma, a sports medicine physician and pediatrician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. David, thank you so much for sharing your information with us. Thank you for having me. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.